Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, Epiphany family. Uh, and all of those who are watching along with us, we are so grateful that you have decided to join us and worship with us this morning. And we're excited to get in the word of God. Uh, but before we open up the text this morning, uh, we just wanted to take some time to thank every uh, person, every man, woman and child, each and every one of you who came out uh, to the march last Sunday. What an incredible time. What an awesome time for us to join together, uh, to walk together, to declare the goodness of God, the righteousness of God, and the justice of God together in our community and in our city. And so we thank you. We appreciate you uh, for all of the staff that helped pull that together uh, in such a timely fashion. We are so grateful uh, for you. And so we're excited about the many things that God has in store for Epiphany Fellowship Church as we continue to do uh, the work of loving our city, of, of loving our city officials, and calling them to accountability to help uh, 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 make sure that our communities are treated equitably and fairly uh, as we serve uh, in our neighborhoods. And so uh, we just want to say thank you. We're looking forward to even doing more. Uh, and, and we have some things uh, going up the pipeline now. And so just keep a look out for uh, some of those things, uh, ways that you can be involved as we continue uh, to declare uh, the justice and the righteousness of God in this city. Uh, and then also before we jump in, uh, yesterday was our very own pastor, Dr. Eric Mason's uh, birthday yesterday. So we want to say happy birthday to you, Bishop. We love you. We so appreciate you. Uh, we have a little token of our love and a, and a, and a gift for you. Uh, and so you'll see that soon. But man, we just wanted to say happy birthday. We pray that you are resting well, that your sabbatical is going greatly. Uh, and we can't wait to see you back uh, when that time is up. But happy birthday, Bishop. We love you. Uh, so now, as we transition, let's, let's get ready to jump into God's word. If you have your Bible with you or your smartphone with you, why don't you open up with me to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue our undefeated series. Matthew, the sixth chapter, beginning at verse 25 and reading down through verse 34. Here's the word of the Lord. Why don't you read along with me? It says this, says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. Now, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the first furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. 
Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. As we continue our undefeated series, I just want to bring you uh, before you, if I could tag this text anyway, fighting from peace. Fighting from peace. Let's pray. Father, we are so glad that we get the privilege to call you that, to indeed call you Father. For your word says that those who have placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, that you have given us the right to be called children of God. And if we are children of God, then you are our Father. And what do we think of you as our Father? Do we not depend on you? Do we not entrust ourselves to you? God, I believe that you have, from this text, encouraged your people that we don't have to worry, that we don't have to fret, because you, O oh God, are not detached from your people. You know what we are going through. You know what we are experiencing. You know what is causing us angst and anxiety. You know what we don't have. You know what we need. So, oh God, speak to us this day and encourage us by your presence. Encourage us by your word. Confirm in us that you are indeed a loving father who takes care of his children. Give your servant this day the strength to preach your word with grace and with truth and with love. This we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Fighting from peace. The year was 1876, and there was a man named Samuel Plimsoll who was a member of the British Parliament. And in that year, Samuel Plimsoll began to get very concerned about the number of shipping vessels that were losing cargo and, and losing crews due to being overloaded with shipping supplies. And so later in the course of that year, he went before Parliament and he urged them and, and, and uh, uh, contended with them to pass what became known as the Unseaworthy Ships Bill. And this bill primarily was so that they could mark the side of a ship to show uh, 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 the limit to which a ship could be loaded with shipping material, meaning that you could not, sh you could not load a ship beyond a certain point. And the way that they would also be able to tell that is that there was a line on the outside of a boat, which became known as the Plimsoll line. And as you would fill cargo onto a ship, as you would put cargo onto a vessel, the ship would get heavier and heavier and it would begin to sink. And they would tell you that if they could no longer see that line, that Plimsoll line, uh, then you were unable to cast off and go out into sea because there would be a, like, a high likelihood of something bad taking place because you had overloaded your vessel. And so the Plimsoll line was mandated to ensure that ships didn't carry more weight than they were supposed to. You know, there was always a possibility that, that things would be okay in clear weather. But there was also a, lot, a high likelihood that if a storm hit, if waves tossed you to and fro, that the vessel would take on water, that it would capsize, 
and eventually sink. The question I have for us this morning is how, how many of us today are walking around like overloaded ships, carrying the weight of life's burdens that cause us to sink if we tip too far to the left or too far to the right? taking on the responsibility of trying to carry things that were never you're required to concern yourself with, striving to provide for yourself the type of assurance that was never in your control. I can see it on you now, the tension mounting in your shoulders, the, the lack of food in the refrigerator, the lack of money in the bank account, the, 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 the lack of job opportunities before you. And, and there is this deep desire to try to heap on yourself the responsibility and the burden of providing for yourself things that you could never assure for yourself because that belongs to God. I know some of us are sitting at home right now extremely desperate because of the uncertain times, but let me just say this to you right now, Jesus is not unfamiliar with people who find themselves in desperate situations. It's an interesting conversation that we find ourselves here in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, but we also have to realize uh, that we are in the middle of a conversation. We, we didn't start. The conversation that Jesus is having currently didn't start in verse 25. So we have to understand the context of the conversation that has been existing and has been taking place uh, uh, thus far. And, and, and it really centers on the fact, and, and Jesus' words are centered on the reality and tied to his previous questions about where our allegiances lie. In verse 24, or verses 20, 19 through 24, Jesus says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. And then later on, he, 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 uh, he gets us to have to get to the place where we have to choose between uh, these two masters. And it culminates in the saying where Jesus says, You can't serve both God and money. Or mammon, the god of materialism, and and what Jesus is trying to get to, is that is that 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 as you fast earlier in, in, in Matthew chapter six, and as you pray, and 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 as you as you uh, say the Lord's prayer, as you petition before God, he, he says you you need to understand that that there can't be any divided loyalties in God's kingdom. Either God provides for you, or you provide for you. He's saying, he's, saying, he's saying you can't choose between God or money because either you put more of your trust and dependence in your paycheck and in your wallet and in your home, in yourself to provide, or you put more dependence and trust in God. So he's, he's trying to get us to wrestle uh, really deeply. And these, these are people who, who really are praying to God, God, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, and, and so Jesus is not accustomed to people uh, praying for the immediacy of their needs. But he says, and he's making it absolutely clear that either you trust me or you're trusting in something else. Brings me to my, my first and, and only point for us this morning. If, if, if brother, sister, if, if we're going to fight from peace, then we have to live like your life is out of your hands. If you're going to fight from a place of peace, then you, you have to live like life is out of your hands. 
that your life, that, 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 that your life being peaceable, that, that, that situations don't control whether or not you have peace, that circumstances don't control whether or not you have peace, that friendships and relationships don't control whether or not you have peace, that arguments on social media about racial tensions don't determine whether or not you have peace. He says fighting for peace knows that you already have peace because of the one who is peace. And when you know that you're in relationship with the one who is peace and gives peace, it allows you to live at peace. But look what Jesus says. He says, he, he says, he, he says verse 19, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and, and rust destroy. I'm sorry, not 19, verse, verse 24. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life and what you will eat or what you will drink or about the body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? The, 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 the natural response is that, that if God gave me life and a body, then certainly God will provi provide food and clothing. It's like, like if, if God did all that was necessary to provide for me a life and a body, then, then what is food and clothing? Like that, that's, that's just icing on the cake. That is nothing for God. It, it's it's, it's the, the premise that Jesus is making here that if you can say God gave you one, then why would he withhold the other? It doesn't make sense. There would be, why would God give you life and then withhold from you the very things that you need to sustain the life that he gave you? He says, he says is, isn't life not more important than food and body? And if it's more important and God gave you that, then wouldn't he give you the thing that was less important in order to sustain the life that he gave you? He says, he says, he, he says consider the, the birds of the sky. He says, now, now, just in case you didn't want to believe uh, the argument that I'm making, just in case it's still a struggle for you. And, and, and I'm not saying it shouldn't be a struggle. I know we go through the difficulties of life and there are certain circumstances that pop up in life where we begin to wrestle uh, with, with, uh, with, with whether or not God sees, with whether or not God really sees what we're going through, with whether or not God really knows what we need in that moment. Sometimes it's because we think we need something that we don't really need or we think we know uh, we need something more than God knows that we need something. But here, Jesus is trying to make it absolutely clear. He, God knows what you need, and he's given you uh, a life and, 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 and a body, and, and the things that you think you need are worth less than the life and the body that he gave you. But just in case you're still struggling, let me give you some real life examples to show you how God provides for even aspects of his creation that are not even as valuable as you. Look what he says in verse 26. He says, he says, consider the birds of the sky. He says the birds in their wild state provide a good example because birds are tirelessly industrious. He, he says, look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap. They, they, don't, they don't plant seeds. They don't water them. They don't wait for them to grow. They don't reap the harvest and then store them into a barn. They don't plan ahead for coming seasons. He, he says, but, but look, he says, yet your heavenly father feeds them. He says, but birds have immediate needs when it comes to needing to be fed. And yet it says that God doesn't store, like there's not a bird grocery store that birds can just go to and, and get in the line and use their bird debit card and check out and then come home and fill their pantries and they know that they're going to have breakfast, they're going to have lunch, they're going to have dinner for the next day. Every time they need something to eat, guess what they have to do? They have to go out and find it. 
And, and Jesus here is saying that God provides the things that they have to get up and go out and find. Now, the birds have to take an active disposition of God providing for them. But just because they get up and go get it doesn't mean that what they eventually get is not provided by God. And yet God says, if the birds have been taken care of, if the bird flies 15 minutes before finding a worm, if the bird finds a bird feeder in somebody's backyard and they've had to travel and struggle through wind and they've had to fight off other birds, once they get there, guess what? That's what God provided. He said, if God provides that for them, then, like you're the one who sows and reaps and gathers into barns. God does that for you. You have the intuition and the ability as a human being, as an image bearer, as a mago day to think ahead, to plan ahead, to build storehouses. He says, if God provides for the ones that can't think ahead, plan ahead and build ahead, then how much more is he going to provide for you? He says, he, he says, he says, aren't you worth more than they? Now, now we get to the conversation of worth. Because he says, he says, if God can provide for lesser creation and you have more worth, value, and dignity as an image bearer, as a mago day, he says, if you're worth more and God provides for them, won't God provide for you? Then he says, he says, he says, then he, then he asks a, a rhetorical question. He says, he says, how many of you can add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Or, or how, how many of you can add another inch to your height? I wish I was a little bit taller. But, but here he's saying, he's saying, why are you so worried about things that are out of your control? He, he, he says, you can't even add time to your life. That's out of your control. Guess what else is out of your control? Providing for yourself. And here he says, he's, he, I think the implication Jesus is making is he's trying to get us to consider that our anxious worry, the toil of worry that doesn't trust God, that doesn't have faith in God, is really causing us to wrestle not just with the fact of whether or not we're being provided for, but, but with whether or not we actually trust the one we say is supposed to be providing for us. So he says, he says man, you can't, you can't add no time to the day by worrying. And so if that's out of your control, why are you worried about it? He says, I, I, you shouldn't be worried about something that somebody else is providing for you. But, but you know what's interesting about this conversation when Jesus says you can't add a moment of the day to the day by worrying is you sure enough can shorten moments to your day, moments to your life by worrying. You know why? Because, because worry causes stress. And you know what stress does? It raises your blood pressure. It, it, it causes restlessness and sleeplessness and anxiety and depression. And so there are a lot of things that have a negative effect on you physically and emotionally and even spiritually due to worry, where worry can shorten your life, but worry can't elongate your life. And so Jesus is saying here, he's saying, man, listen, if, if you're worth more than the birds, 
If you're worth more than the birds and God provides for them, man, let, let, let God, let God do his work. Let God provide for you. You may have to get up and go get it. You may not know where it's going to come from. You, you, you may not know how you're going to get there or when you're going to attain it. But guess what? If the bird has to get up and go get it and trust in God to provide and God provides. How much more do you think God will have and give what you need? And then he says, then Jesus goes on. He says, he says, um, why do you worry about clothes? He says, observe the wildflowers of the field. He says, they don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like none of these. It's interesting that Jesus moves from birds to wildflowers because uncultivated vegetation, that's what he means when, when he says wildflowers of the field. He's talking about un, just like just uh, grass, wild grass, wildflowers growing out in the field that have not been planted, have not been cultivated. And, and, and Jesus here is saying, he says, even the wildflowers of the field, they do less than the birds do to provide for themselves. They are more dependent on the mercy of God. They are more dependent on the grace of God uh, because they are in a passive state where they depend on the soil to be rich. They depend on the, the, the water to rain down on them. They depend on sunshine. There are so many things that a flower in the wild is depending on God to make sure continues to happen in order for it to grow. And, and here Jesus is saying like that the wildflower uh, growing uncultivated in a field is more beautiful than Solomon. And it grows more beautiful than Solomon because God provides for it the things that it needs in order to to grow, in order to look majestic, in order to look beautiful, in order to be more adorned than Solomon is. And he says that wildflowers are here today and gone tomorrow. The lifespan is here today and then cut down tomorrow. You know why? Because they, they, they would often go out into the fields and they would cut down the grass of the field and they would dry it and, and bundle it because it was a natural source uh, for fuel for cooking. And so uh, uh, there was no expected life expectancy for a wildflower. You know, you can look up statistically and see generally, I know this isn't the case for, for all of us, but generally you can look up and see how long the, the life expectancy is of women, the, the, the life expectancy of men. You can even break it down by ethnicity. But, but here, uh, uh, Jesus is saying that the wildflower, you can't even determine a life expectancy because it's here today and gone tomorrow. The, the, the length of time that it's here is so short that it's inconsequential, yet that does not stop God from adorning it in beauty because he cares about his creation. And this is, this is the natural how much more argument that Jesus makes often. He says, if, if this is true, if, if this is the case, then, and you being an image bearer, you being made in the image of God, you being the crown jewel of creation, if that's true for them, how much more for you? But look what he says. He says, he says, this statement, this statement, you of little faith. See, what, what, Jesus, what Jesus is getting at is that, that, that our anxious um, our anxious 
worry, the, the type of worry that comes from feeling like uh, we have to provide things for ourselves that only God can provide for us, the type of worry that, that focuses on and meditates on things that are out of our control, the type of worry that causes us to try to manipulate situations instead of pray, uh, the type of, of worry that, that causes us to, to try to plan uh, for the future that we can't see, the type of worry that distrusts the providence of God. He says, he says that worry is, rack, is rooted in a lack of faith. It's rooted in a lack of faith. He, in Luke 17, he, he picks up this issue of faith and he says, he tells the disciples, he says, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, he said, you can say to that mulberry tree, be uprooted and go and plant yourself in the sea and it will obey you. Now, now, now the reason that Jesus can say that is because he's talking about what really essentially is not the absence of faith, but the deficiency of faith. And so when we talk about this idea of faith, it means faith means the confidence that God can and will act on his people's behalf. Faith, faith means that, that I don't have to see it yet because I'm trusting in the character of a person. Faith says that, that even though I can't see it with my eyes, even though I haven't been there in the future, faith, faith, faith says that, that even though I may not have uh, uh, the tangible uh, results of what I'm believing in, faith says I have the evidence of the character of the one in whom I'm placing my faith. Because faith says that I'm not, I'm not placing my trust, I'm not placing my faith in some esoteric thing that, that just exists out here in the universe. No, faith says that I am putting my full confidence on a person and the track record, the history of faithfulness, the history of goodness, the history of providence that he's had in my life and in the life of other people that I know. Faith says I don't need to see it to know that God is going to do it. I like what I like what one uh, one commentary says. He says he says faith is not a measurable commodity, but faith is a relationship. And what achieves results through prayer and dependence on God is, now listen to this, listen to this, is not a superior quantity of faith, but the unlimited power of God on which faith, any faith, can draw. Let, let, let me see if, if, if I can make it plain. It, it, what God does because of your faith has less to do with the quantitative measure of your faith and more to do with the quantitative measure of the unlimited power of God. Oh, that's good right there. That, which means if you bring any faith to the table, God, God, because he's unlimited in his power, God, because there is nothing that can stay his hand, if you just bring something to the table, if all you got is just a little bit, then he'll take that little bit that you got and he'll make a whole mountain out of a molehill. He says, he says, all you need to do is bring the faith that you got to the table. And because of his unlimited power, God will do the rest. He says, that's the, that's the type of faith that we're talking about. I was uh, recently reading, reading a book uh, called uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by uh, Stephen Covey. And in this book, he gives this illustration about the time where he went to the gym with one of his friends. And 
uh, he was working out with one of his friends. They made their way to the back of the gym and began to get on the bench press. And before the friend laid down on the bench press, he looks at Stephen and he says, uh, he says, Stephen, I'm, I'm going to try to go for, I'm, I'm going to try to max out my reps here. Uh, so I'm going to do as many as I possibly can uh, before, I, before I finish. So I'm not going to a particular number. I'm just going to keep going until I can't go anymore. So Stephen said, okay, cool, not a problem. And the friend looked at him and said, he said, whatever you do, don't touch the bar unless I tell you to. Okay, cool. So the friend gets on, on, on the bench press, you know, and setting himself up, and he starts pumping it out. Boom, boom. You know, and, 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 and when you first start, the weight may not seem as heavy as it can get, and so he, he's getting up there in reps, and eventually he starts to slow down because the, the longer that you exercise that muscle, the more tired it gets. And the more tired it gets, the more energy that you're expending, the slower that your body begins to go because it takes more energy for you to now push up what used to be, you used to go up pretty easily, now goes up with some relative difficulty. And there came a point in the exercise where he was pushing up the bar and it looked like he was struggling quite a bit and Stephen went to reach in and, and the friend whispered out, no, not yet. And so he kept pushing and he had slowed down, but he kept pushing. And then after a while, he began to struggle lifting the bar up again, and you could see the, the vein popping out of his forehead, and you could see he began to turn a bright red, and, and Stephen began to reach in yet again for the bar, and the friend whispered out yet again, don't do it, not yet. And so he began to continue to push up even more slow, and, and, and on the last rep, he begins to yell out, and scream out because the burning of the muscle, the pain of the muscle, he could feel it as he was pushing up that last rep. And Stephen thought he was just going to drop it on his chest. But some way, somehow, he managed to, to get that full lock in, that full last press up. And he, and he set the weight back down. And, and he got up and he's sweating. And he's, and, he's, and he's out of breath and he's red and, and you could see his, his muscles still kind of shaking on his arms. And, and Stephen looks at his friend and he says, he says, why didn't you let me help you pull the bar up? And, and why did you wait till the last minute in order to, to, to like, why, why do you let yourself get to that point before you stop? And the friend looked at him and he said, he said, because all the benefit comes at the end. He says, he, says, he says, once I get to the end of the exercise, the, the muscle fibers in uh, my arm begin to tear. And, and, and the more that I can push them, the more uh, that, that, that I can uh, push them out while they're, the, the more that I can uh, keep them going while they're weak, that, that, that the more that I tear them, then, then the, there's more room for more muscle to grow back as I rest, which means the next time I get onto the bench, because I've trained in my weakness, because I've pressed forward when it hurt, because I felt pressed forward when I didn't feel like it, before I dealt with the pain and the discomfort, because I faced it head on because I was able to do those things the next time I get into this situation I'll be able to go further than I did before he says all the benefit comes at the end 
He says, you, you know that the testing of your faith. Look, look what James says. He, 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 he says that because faith produces something, there's a, there's a result in faith. You're not just applying faith to difficult circumstances. You're not just applying faith to answers that you don't, questions that you don't have answers for. You're not just applying faith to these different types of scenarios just because uh, you, we, we're some sort of masochist that feel like dealing with the discomfort of life. James even tells us that faith produces is something. He says, don't you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Do you know what that pain and that discomfort, do you know what that struggle does when you apply a little faith to it? It brings about maturity. It brings about endurance. It allows you to stand face to face with your circumstance and not run to your best friend and not run to your bank account and not run to all the other things that soothe you, but run to the foot of the cross and run to the face of your King Jesus Christ and be able to get in front of his face and say, God, I don't have the answers right now. God, I don't know what's going on. I don't have the money that the bill collectors want. I don't have the house that I need for space to live in. I don't have enough food in the refrigerator. But what I have is you and you have the character and the track record to let me know that everything is going to be all right. Faith produces something. Look what Jesus says. He says, he says, he says, but then he, I like what Jesus does here. He tells us in no uncertain terms, he says, man, he says the type of worry that my people often, uh, that my, often my, my people often reveal themselves to have, it's antithetical to the type of relationship that they should have with God. Because look what it says. He says, he says, um, for the Gentiles, he says, don't worry what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. He said, the Gentiles seek these things. He says, the 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 people of the, the people who don't know God, those who don't have a relationship with God, he says, they pattern themselves after seeking food, seeking clothing, seeking comfort, and seeking security. And they build their lives around trying to provide comfort for themselves that they can never get on this side of eternity by themselves. See, the human longing is to try to manufacture a peace that you can't get outside of the cross. And so Jesus is saying, he's saying, man, he says, don't pattern your behavior. Don't pattern your mindsets. Don't pattern your work efforts after the unbeliever, after the non-Christian. Some of y'all watching too many TED Talks that are filled with information and a worldview that is antithetical to the gospel. Some of y'all are gorging yourselves on YouTube channels, trying to be the type of business owner and create the type of wealth that, that really is building up for yourselves a kingdom on earth. It's a, God ain't got nothing wrong with you getting, get, getting a little extra money. God ain't got nothing wrong with your side hustles and you being an entrepreneur. But some of us really need to question the motivation behind why we're trying to build our individual brands this side of eternity to the extent that we ignore kingdom principles for our own selfish reasons. He says, he says, he says don't pattern your life after the Gentiles, the people that don't know God. He says, he says, he says, man, that's, that's not how the kingdom of God operates. 
That's not how one who has a relationship with an almighty, infinitely good, loving father should, 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 should behave. And he says, he says, he says, uh, he says, don't be like the Gentiles, for they, they do all those things. They seek all those things. Then he says, but your heavenly father, you hear, you hear, the, you hear the personal language there, you hear the, you hear the intimate language there, your, your heavenly father, right? That means, that means we, like that, that intimacy, that relationship, because he's dead, we should have a calm confidence. We, as the people of God, should be characterized by a calm confidence that our father will provide. You know, he says, your, your heavenly father, he knows that you need them. How, how much of us or how many of us would not worry anxiously the way that we do if we really believed that God knew what we needed in that moment? See, if, if, if you know that somebody knows what you need and that they plan on providing what you need, you can sit back a little bit more patiently and trust in their character. Oh, I, you know, they, they know. They know. I don't have to come up with a backup plan. They know. I don't have to try to maneuver and manufacture and manipulate. They know. So he says, he says, that, he says this, this, this attitude, I, I like one, one, one commentary says this, this attitude removes people from preoccupation with their own worldly success because it discourages the wealthy and the comfortable from concentrating on their own success and it discourages the poor and uncomfortable from concentrating on their own misery. See, when we begin to live with a kingdom mindset, it, rem- it takes us beyond what we are just, like where we are. So for those of us who are comfort. It takes us beyond trying to live in our comfort. For those who are uncomfortable, a kingdom mindset takes us beyond just like a, a fumigating or, or just staying and being isolated in, in our own misery, right? But he says, he, says, he says, instead of seeking those things that the Gentiles seek, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be provided to you. That, may, that means that his disciples... We are supposed to have a kingdom of heaven center mindset in our daily priorities. And, and he, says, he, says, he says, make it a priority. Seek out. Make it a priority to find the kingdom of God. He says, because, because when disciples pursue God's kingdom and his righteousness and their daily routines and priorities and activities, they will have all of their needs met by an ever-caring, ever-watching heavenly father. Like, I like what the, what the psalmist writes in the Proverbs, Proverbs 37. He says, he said, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging bread. That's such a, a good word. It's such a good word. And what Jesus here is trying to teach us is, is that we have, to, we have to have a learned reliance on God's care for our present needs which means that we have to teach ourselves that, that when we find ourselves in present predicaments with immediate needs, that we rely on the knowledge that God is a heavenly father who knows and who cares. 
See, that, that changes your mindset. It changes your disposition. It changes what you do when you can rely on the fact that you know that you have a good God, a heavenly father, a caring dad who knows and cares about what you need. So what are you anxiously worrying about today, my brother? What are you anxiously worrying about today, my sister? Where do you go to soothe your anxious worry and anxiety? Some of us go shopping. Some of us just take another vacation. Some of us retreat to a spa day. Too many of us soothe ourselves in our refrigerators. And I know we're in the middle of a pandemic, but so you have to ask this question. Where do you go when all of your normal places or refuge are not available? Now, I'm not against vacation and spending money on shopping or the spa day or, or even the refrigerator. But we've got to understand that mental health days don't work when they're attached from the one who gives peace and is peace. I like what Augustine says. He says, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You know, there used to be a show, I'm not sure if it comes on anymore, uh, but there, there was a show that, that, that I used to uh, peek in on at times and, and, and uh, was both uh, funny and sad at the same time. And uh, on the show, they would chronicle a particular individual who, uh, who um, was trying to build a relationship with somebody else, usually from a distance, and somewhere along the line, that relationship uh, turned kind of sour, and, and something happened to make the person believe that whoever was on the other line wasn't who they said they were. And so they would get this investigative team together and they would compile all the evidence of, of text messages and emails and locations and all these different things. And, and, and eventually uh, it would come out that the person who was trying to build this authentic relationship that thought they may have been falling in love or, or found a, a newfound best friend, uh, that, that the person that they were communicating was, uh, with was not who they said they were. Essentially, they had been catfished. And there's this big reveal, and, 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 and it's, it's, it was such a disheartening moment because you could sense the pain, uh, the aggravation, the, the lost time, the lost investment. You, you, could, you could sense the hurt of betrayal on the face of the person who had just realized that they had been fooled into tr and tricked into believing somebody, was, that they, somebody who said they were somebody was actually somebody else. My brothers and sisters, I submit to you today that anxious worry that doesn't place confidence in the Lord masks true Christianity. That people, when they see you anxiously toil and worry about what you need that you don't have and how you have no idea where it's going to come from, when you never bring up the name of Jesus and his goodness 
in those conversations, when they never see you praying aloud, when they never see you toiling the scriptures, reminding yourselves of the promises of God, when you never just uh, 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 resolve the fact that some things are out of your control and you're waiting and trusting on a good God who loves you, when you just anxiously toil, neglecting God even exists, I, I suppose that people look at you and can't even tell that you're a Christian. He's like, why would I want to be a, a, a part of, uh, of that people group? Why would I even believe or want to submit myself to that type of God that when something goes on in my life, I can't even trust that he's going to be there? And so, people of God, we have, a, we have an awesome task today, not, not only for ourselves, but for the watching world. We have the awesome opportunity to seek after the kingdom of God, to prioritize ourselves with peace, with justice, with goodness, with love. And, and listen, this, this, is, this isn't a scripture that promises that, 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 that every single thing that you want, you will have. But it does say, it says that, that what you need, God will provide. So will you, will you trust him this morning? Will you believe that he's a good and gracious Father that loves to give good gifts and knows what you need and will give it to you. He says, that's my prayer for us this morning, is that we would be a people who work hard, who are diligent as faithful servants in whatever sphere of, of work or career that we're in, but that we would not lean and put our full confidence in our own abilities, in our own careers, in our own works to provide things for ourselves that are completely and utterly out of our control, but that we would entrust ourselves to a good God who loves you, who cares about you, and who knows what you need. So would you fight for peace with me today? Would you fight from peace with me? Would you be at peace in your circumstances because you're at peace with the one who took care of the ultimate hostility that we had at the cross. And because we have an eternal peace with God, we can experience a temporal peace here on this earth. Father, we thank you and we praise you, God, today for your word. We thank you that we can believe your promises, that you are our ever-present friend that you are a God who sits high but looks low, that you are near to the brokenhearted and crushed in spirit, that you are closer than a brother. Help us to believe your word, O oh God. You never promised that it wouldn't be hard. You never promised that we wouldn't experience loss. You never promised that all of us would be wealthy or rich, that we would never have needs or never be discouraged by life's circumstances. But God, you do promise to be there. You promise to love us. You show us your care for us and your concern for our well-being, and you know what we need and are faithful to provide it. And so God, may we be the type of people that run first to the throne of God and to the face of our King before we go anywhere else and teach ourselves to rely on your character and on your goodness and on your grace. 
God, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you. We thank you for joining us this morning. We pray that you would continue just to join us uh, as we worship God and continue to see uh, his kingdom uh, manifest in this world. Uh, if you would like to trust Jesus Christ as Savior today, if you've never known him as King or Savior, but you would like to make a profession of faith in the one who is our peace because he has crushed the wrath uh, that existed between us and God. If you would like to know more about how you can become a follower of Jesus Christ, we would love to connect with you. We would love to talk with you. Stay, uh, stay tuned in for this next announcement because that's for you. Grace and peace. We love you. God bless. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Passive Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you.